0: All right, well again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. And uh, again, my name is Brian. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I would uh, love to be able to do that. Uh, we are in week 32 of Romans, and uh, we've just been walking through uh, this book, uh, little by little, and um, and it's interesting because this week is a little passage, and yet there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And so I uh, just wanna be able to take our time, walk through just four verses, Uh, and look at just some uh, beautiful, rich, freeing theology that we see uh, from the Apostle Paul uh, for us uh, this morning. Uh, so again, we've been uh, in this book for a while and we look just a, just a quick uh, catch up recap in the first three chapters of looking at what is the gospel? What is the gospel and and, and what is the, the good news? It's a it's a word that people use all the time. Oh, yeah. The, the gospel of, of Jesus, the gospel, of this thing uh, it is. That means good news and the good news of Jesus. And we, we looked at this for several weeks of so that. This is by faith alone, uh, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And, and, and then we shift into where we've been now, and we're going to be kicking off chapter eight uh, as we get ready to get into the Christmas season. We'll be finishing up, and then we'll kick back off in Romans again in, in, in uh, January. Uh, we'll be looking at, okay, well, well, now that if this is true, if the gospel's true, if I'm free in Christ, then how does that affect uh, how I live, is it a should, do I need to do this so that God will still love me to, to stay in? And the Apostle Paul's gonna say, no, that that's not what's going on. But as he explains the gospel that we're free in Christ, well then, if that's true, well then I guess that means I can go do whatever I want. All right, if if I've been forgiven, uh, all my past, present, future sins are forgiven, well then I guess that means that I can go and do whatever I want. So he asks all these uh, f- these hypothetical questions, four of them, to be exact, going back into chapter six, verse one, it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? He just finishes saying, if, if where there is sin, where, where sin is abounds, grace increases all the more. So then if that's true, Paul, then I guess that means we can continue in sin so that more grace shows up. And he's saying, by no means, like, God forbid, like, no, that doesn't make any sense. If I'm truly, if I truly see Christ and I see the grace in his eyes, as we just sang, and I, and I see that, why would I want to turn away from that and continue in sin? And then the next question, what then are we to, are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace, right? So if, if I don't get saved by being a good person, by obeying and, and showing up for church and, and doing all these things, if that doesn't do anything in regard to my salvation, then I guess I can go do whatever I want. And again, he says, by no means, God forbid. And then he's going to ask another question in chapter 7, what shall we say that the law is sin? That the religious leaders that would have been in uh, Rome at the time would have said, see, Paul, you're you're saying that the law is evil. And it's not, the law is from God, right? And so so he's saying, are are you saying the law is sin? And again, Paul says, by no means. Yet, had it not been for the law, I would not have known sin, that the villain of the story is sin, not the law. And then the final question, he's just gonna reemphasize that in Romans 7 to 13 is, did that which is good then, the law, bring death to me? And he's gonna say, God forbid, by no means. Again, it was sin. And so last week, he looked at uh, Noel Heikinen, a friend of mine in, in uh, Lansing, Michigan, kind of had these three these three points of, of just our position in Christ, that I have a, a sinful nature, right? And so we, we talked about this idea that I uh, I go through this this door of salvation, right? I go from death to life, from darkness to marvelous light, and, and that's it. That's the gospel. I take the good news of the gospel. I hand it to someone on a, on a tractor. I say, you need Jesus. This is what I mean. And, and we, I want them to go through this door. But, but the apostle Paul is saying, that the gospel isn't just a door. It isn't just going from death to life. It is a way of life. It is now uh, who I am. It's a gospel path that I'm walking on every day. And so, but we're stuck in this in-between that Jesus has died for my sins. He's saved me from my sins. And someday he's gonna make everything new, all things new. He's gonna take away sin and death and he's gonna cast it away. And it's gonna be as if everything wrong, never even existed, but we're already, we're here now. And he's saying, uh, I have a sin nature. So as long as I live in this world, I can't possibly be perfectly sinless. And number two, I live in a fallen world that sings siren songs of seduction to that sinful nature. Even though we've been set free, that, that old slave master of sin is screaming at us saying, hey, come, come back and do this thing. And Jesus, our new master is saying, no, 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 you don't need to listen to that anymore. But yet we we do, we, we turn on this gospel path back to our sinful nature. And we can't do anything about those two things. Those two things are just truisms of being alive in this world. But the third point that he says, I believe lies, faulty sensors that cause me to act as if certain things are true about me that are not true in the least. And I use that analogy of my old Jeep of I've got this low washer fluid that's always on. And it's been on for 13 years. No matter what I do, no matter how much I top it off, no matter how many gallons of washer fluid I have in my back trunk or hatch or whatever it's called in the Jeep, I don't know, uh, in the back rolling around, it doesn't make that true. I'm not low on washer fluid. It's just simply not true. But we, we hear this, you are, you are a liar. You are a manipulator. You are a pervert. And it's there in our face over and over and over to where we start to believe it. And then Jesus shows up and he says, that's just not true of you. You want want to know why it's not true? Because I say it's not true of you. You are in me. You are made new. So that was last week. This week, we're going to be looking at a courtroom scene that the Apostle Paul is going to, is going to bring, um, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this analogy, but the, right, we all have favorite books or movies, 12 Angry Men. I think it was called that because uh, women weren't allowed to be in the uh, courtroom at the time uh, when that movie came out, which wasn't that long ago. Uh, but then A Few Good Men came out, and I don't know why it's called that, because Demi Moore is one of the lead actresses in that. So I don't know what, what's with the men thing. I don't know. Maybe they were just doing a play on the 12 Angry Men. I don't know. Either way, really good movie, right? You you want the truth? You can't handle the truth, right? That's what that that's what that is from, right? Uh, and, and so you have these courtroom scenes, and 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 we. I don't know if you were like me. I got really uh, uh, stupidly infatuated with the Johnny Depp trial when that was going on. You know, I would like get alerts on YouTube, like, hey, Johnny Depp is on the stand. It's like. All right, I'll go watch it, right? Um, there's, just, there's something about the courtroom. I know we have two 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 and a half lawyers uh, here. You know, we've got two real lawyers and one in training. Uh, uh, and so, um, right? And so so maybe I'm gonna be, if you're like, hey, you got your analogy really bad, uh, that, I, it's fine. Okay, I'm not a lawyer. Um, so let's get into this though in Romans chapter eight, verses one through four, a uh, sermon that I've uh, titled, Not guilty. If you're able, if you wouldn't mind, just stand uh, with me as I read this, this uh, text, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, uh, reading out of the ESV. Uh, we typically read out of the NIV here at Hope, but, but going slowly, uh, want a little bit more of a word-for-word uh, translation. So that's why we use the ESV uh, during the, the study in Romans. And so here we are, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. I'll read this loud. You can just follow along. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Simple outline this morning, but the first point is that we have been declared innocent by the judge, right? There's a, the courtroom scene, uh, we are the defendant, we are the one who's being accused of something and, and the judge is saying, you, you are innocent, you, you have done no wrong in this situation, but we need to go back, we need to set the stage a little bit, right? We got to go back into the courtroom and hey, let's hear the previous arguments, what are we being declared innocent of? right? Which is very important. What are we, uh, what were we uh, declared innocent of? And so again, what does Paul say the gospel is? What is the good news? I know uh, I just kind of recapped that, but I want to look at, just specifically in Romans, What is the gospel? And I wanna go go back to what Paul has said. And I've got four points. Four points that uh, when we talk about the gospel here at Hope, these are four words that we can summarize the gospel. And if you've been at Lower Town for a while, you know it's God, man, Jesus, and faith. But I wanna see, is that how Paul builds his argument? And the answer is yes. So let's go back to Romans 1, 16 through 17, which is his thesis statement. This is the whole point of the argument. And he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news why? Why, Paul? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the religious and the irreligious, for in the righteousness of, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, from the beginning of our faith to the end of our faith, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so we have to start what is the gospel by by looking at God? And Paul starts with God, the Creator, and we need to do the same. We we live in a culture where where God doesn't exist. The majority of people do not believe in a God, in any kind of deity, let alone a, a de- grand designer, and so we can't just like our, you know, maybe our predecessors, predecessors our, our grandparents. My, my grandfather was a pastor and, and looking at maybe like Billy Graham and he would do these big meetings and, and thousands of people would come forward. But if you listen to Billy Graham preach, he doesn't start with, in the beginning, God. He starts with, you're a sinner and you need to repent. And people are like, oh, you're right, right? And people would just come forward in droves. That's just not our culture anymore. We need to start with God. And this is exactly what Paul does in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter one, 19 through 20, he says, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. You gotta start with, there is a God. And there's a God who is good and there's a God who created us. And so then we get to man. And the problem with man and humanity is that we sin. And right off the bat in the beginning, uh, it only takes a couple of chapters, the end of chapter two, start of chapter three, that we are saying, hey, creator God, um, no. I don't wanna be under your rule. I don't wanna be under your law. I want autonomy. I wanna choose for myself what's right and what's wrong. I I want that for myself. And so we read in Romans chapter three, verse 23, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And that's where the story Could end. That is where God justly could say, I'm just done. Why? He did the same thing with the demons. He did the same thing with the fallen angels. He doesn't send a savior to the demons, but he does. He takes on flesh and he sends his son Jesus. This third point of this, and again, we see this in Romans chapter 6, verse 23 the wages of sin is death. Breaking the law, the commandments of God, you will die. But the free gift, right? Remember my whole pet peeve. I can't stand the free gift. It's just a gift. Gifts are free. Uh, this free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then finally, faith that requires faith in Christ, for the forgiveness of my sins, for the crimes that I've committed against God. And so we see this then in Romans 6:23. 26, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord and are justified, are made right by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, a payment for my sin by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins and it was to show his righteousness at the present times that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So going back, we are declared innocent by the judge. And so our text again, this morning, starting off here in verse one of Romans eight says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And um, someone on staff sent me this uh, link for this, this definition of what is this idea of condemnation. So let me just read this. We don't have to get caught up into the, into the Greek language here, but there's, there's a deeper meaning to this word. In this, and the cognates that follow the use of the term condemnation does not denote merely a pronouncement of guilt, but the adjudication of punishment, judicial pronouncement upon the guilty person, condemnation, punishment, and penalty. Okay, so here, here's what I'm saying. It is the pronouncement, you are, there is now no condemnation, right? You are declared innocent, right? It's not just the, the pronouncement, right? We've just read in all these, the verses that we just uh, kind of recapped with in the book of Romans, we just read that we've all sinned that we're all guilty. And then the judge says, but I'm declaring you innocent. Even though you are guilty, I'm telling you you're innocent. That's the declaration part. That's the pronouncement of it right? It would be like uh, where we've probably all read a book or seen a movie or, or maybe this was, maybe this happened to you. I don't know. Uh, that, right? Someone's like in jail and they need a bond, right? They need to be set free. And so someone comes, right? The, the you know, the, the sheriff comes in. He's like, hey, Jim, uh, you're free. Someone paid your bond, right? And then he opens the gate and he's like, oh, who did that, right? And it's like, oh, dad, I haven't seen you in 20 years. Wow, thanks, right? And, and it would be foolish for the person that was set free to be like, yeah, I know you set me free. I know I'm free to go, but I just don't feel free. I still feel the way, and, and, and Paul is saying, no, you've been, you've been declared innocent. There's a declaration of this, but it's not just the pronouncement of it. It's the punishment as well that we've been declared innocent of, that we deserve the punishment and the wages of sin is death. We see that, we've already read that, but it is paid in full. And our dues, not just to society, have been paid but our dues to the creator of the universe, the one whom was the most offended party in this scenario, the one that was attacked by our wrongdoing, he's the one who pays them. The pronouncement, you are innocent, but you also then are not uh, worthy then of the punishment that happens. Martin Luther says it this way. When the devil throws our sins up to us and declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? (laughs) I, I don't know if he said it like that in German. I don't know if he can do that inflection in German, but I'm like, what of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means, God forbid. For I know one who suffered and made a satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the son of God, where he is, there I shall be also your smart Luther. He's writing this letter to a friend. We see this in this passage, but one thing that I need to highlight is the one simple word where the Apostle Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation. This is not just some future realization that someday Jesus will save me and I'll be redeemed and I'll I'll go to heaven someday. That's not what Paul is talking about. He says, there is therefore now, today, instantly, no condemnation, no guilt, no shame. And yet we carry around this weight, this guilt and this shame I've been set free, Brian, the, the gates are open from the prison cell, you're free to go. And it's like, yeah, but this thing that I did, you don't understand. And Jesus said, saying, no, I do understand. It's paid for, now you're free. For freedom, you have been set free now, today. So let me ask, do you feel the weight of your sin? Even though I've been forgiven, even though I've been set free in Christ, do you, do you just cower in guilt and shame? It was one thing that I was so thankful for this, this last, yesterday, this, this weekend with the guys was just being able to, we can talk about this. We can be free about this. Why? Because there's no condemnation. I don't need to worry about what so-and-so thinks about me and my sin because I'm, I've been freed from this, from the condemnation. I don't need to feel that guilt. That's what the gospel does. It frees us to allow us to be authentic and real and open and honest with one another. Jesus says, let me, let me take it. Let me take your punishment and be free. Maybe another way you could illustrate this is a couple of days ago, my daughter, she, uh, Angela, bought her some hair ties, little rubber bands. And I mean, like 10,000 of them, right? Like a lot of them. And Emma found it and thought, oh, I'm gonna throw these all over my room, right? Now, which is understandable, uh, it's no, one, no one's to blame except my two-year-old. Uh, and, uh, it, it, but, and it is one of those things where it's like, hey, I want you to go outside and I want you to go play, right? But before you do that, I'm, I'm gonna make a law. The law is I want you to go do the thing you wanna do. But before you do that, I need you to clean up, all right? And you can imagine a two-year-old being overwhelmed by cleaning up 10,000 little rubber bands. This is not, I, I, can't, I can't do it. <laughs> I, I'm physically incapable of doing this on my own. And then I would say, you know what? Don't worry about it. You just go outside and play. I'll clean it up. It, it doesn't make any sense then for my daughter to come back in and be like, oh, Dan, I just feel so bad about doing that thing. And it's like, I, I just can't go play because no, no, it's, uh, go, go do it. Go be free in this. Go, go enjoy this. I've got this. And yeah, we do that all the time. So now let's get into this judgment scene, this room, this courtroom scene, and you have the, the judge declaring us innocent. And you can hear the accuser. You can hear the plaintiff. Is that right? The, the accuser? The, so, there's a plaintiff. Okay. The one bringing the judgment. Nah, I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm talking about. The plaintiff. I've watched Judge Judy. Okay. I'm an expert. The plaintiff then says, objection, your honor. Right? No, 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 no. On what grounds? Right? what are you talking about? It's speculative. This is speculation, okay? You, this, this doesn't make any sense. You cannot say they're free just because, judge, you feel like saying they're free. On what grounds are they free? And then Jesus, on our behalf, he says, no, oh, no, no, just let me, let me talk. He says, four. Let, let me explain. On what grounds? Let me explain. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, spirit is going to be used a lot, not just today, a few times today, but this whole chapter. Matter of fact, uh, the spirit and that word for spirit is used more than anywhere in any other chapter in the entire Bible. And it's really important, right? If you're reading your Bible and you start seeing the same word pop up over and over, you go, wow, that's a, that's a theme. Right? This is really important. And it is really important, but it's not the most important aspect of this text the important part of this text and what Paul is trying to get is the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, that the spirit brings about through new life. For the law, and, I, and in case you're, I've I, I made a, uh, a visual aid for you. I don't know why I just did it. The spirit of life, right? You have the spirit who comes around first and then you have this law of sin and death that we are all under, we are all guilty of which again we've just read. But even those who are religious and irreligious, there's this law that has been written on our hearts, that even people who, who are not in the church who don't feel this like uh you know, this 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 religious aspect of being a good person, that they have their own laws that they fall short of even on their own. And everyone falls short of this law, even of the law that are written on our hearts. We can't obey. And then it is then through Jesus Christ he says, hey, we're gonna forget that. I'm gonna right so 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 Paul's building his case. He says, for the spirit of life, has, says we don't need the law of death. We were under that, but Christ has done this for us on our behalf. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And again, the devil says, objection. <laughs> right on what grounds? You can't do that. You can't just have Jesus come along and say, uh, I'll pay for it, right? Someone, something's gotta give, something has to pay. How is it that Jesus can take upon the sins of the world? And again, we just read it in chapter six, because in it, by taking on flesh, he is now able to become the just and the justifier. And this is where the analogy of the courtroom scene breaks down because Jesus, who's the judge, is also is also the defendant. And he's also the one accused. And then he's also the one who's able to make the payment. And the apostle Paul explains that in the next verse of this objection. And again, Paul says, I'm not finished. Let me, give me some leeway, judge. Just give me another minute. Let me keep my, my thought going here. He says, four, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. How is it that anyone can be declared innocent from the pronouncement and the punishment of the sin that we deserve, that we're all guilty of? Like we are clearly guilty of these things. And he says, because Jesus took on flesh and he did what the law demanded. He did it perfectly on our behalf. And he says, now that's why they're free. They're free because I say they're free. They're free because they put their faith in me. And by faith, I can set them free. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. And again, making this stupid, stupid thing. Weakened by the flesh. There's no sad face in whatever the image is. So I had to just put a weird thing over his face. The law of sin and death, we're under that. Everyone's under that. But now in Christ, we're free. I hope that helps. You're gonna go home like, man, I don't remember anything, but that, whew, that image, man, that changed, changed my life. That was the goal. Right, here we have God, the offended party, like I mentioned, the plaintiff, the one who brought the lawsuit before the court in the first place, the one who declared us guilty. He's then the one who pays for the accused because we couldn't do it. And then God, through Jesus, becomes the defendant and sets my accused self And here the Apostle Paul says, right? No further questions, your honor. The witness is yours. There's nothing else to say here. Jesus did it all. There's nothing else to add, right? Satan, go ahead. What are you going to say? Satan, what are you going to accuse my this, this, this uh, defendant of? Because Jesus is right here, right? And Satan has to say nothing. I, I, I got nothing else. I, I thought I had all this list of sins and wrongdoings, but... If it's paid for, it's paid for. I got nothing. Again, Luther, he uses this illustration not as a courtroom scene, but just follow with it. I had to read this five times before I finally got it. So just let me uh, me read it. This is what he's saying. It is as with a sick man who wants to drink some wine because he foolishly thinks that his health will return if he does so. Now, if the doctor, without any criticism of the wine, should say to him, it is impossible for the wine to cure you. It will only make you sicker. The doctor is not condemning the wine, but only the foolish trust of the sick man in it. For he needs another medicine to get well so that he can drink his wine. Thus also our corrupt nature needs another kind of medicine than the law by which it can arrive at good health so that it can fulfill the law. Here's what he's saying. As the accused, I cannot, as God says, you are guilty. I cannot at any moment in that booth say, your Your honor, you're right. I'm guilty, but I promise you, I, I plead with you, I will never do it again. I will never do it again. You can, you can put an ankle bracelet on me. You can, you can have someone come to my house and do, and do a check on me every day. I promise you, I plead with you, I will never do it again. It's not gonna be good enough. The law isn't gonna set us free. It's gotta be paid for. We need another kind of medicine that will free us from the law, but not just free us from it, but fulfill it. And that is Christ. I need another kind of medicine and that is Christ Jesus. We've been declared innocent by the judge. On what grounds? And on what grounds? And so then what is the result? What is the result of our now newfound freedom in Christ? He says this in verse four. In order that, all this has happened, you've been declared free, you've been declared right in good standing, there is now no condemnation now in Christ Jesus. He took on flesh, he paid the penalty. In order that, the result of, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There are two ways in which we can read this passage. And and depending on your background, you may have heard this taught radically different than what we're about to get into this morning. You can read this one way by saying that we now, now that okay, I've been set free by God and in Christ, and I'm now walking this path, I now need to do good. I now need to fulfill the just requirement of the law. I need to do that. I need to be a good person. So do we do this? Do we fulfill this by righteous living? And when you read this verse on its own, when you get into this text, when you look at this verse by itself as a standalone verse, it makes sense why people might arrive at that conclusion, at that conclusion. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So I am going to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, I'm gonna obey the law. If I read that verse on its own, we might go, yeah, I think that makes sense. The problem is the previous three stinking verses. We have been set free in Christ. He's the one doing this work. It it cannot be something that I'm doing to walk. I'm the one walking. It is God. It is Christ who unites himself with us. We are in union with Christ and it is now his righteousness that is fulfilling this. Jesus did the work on our behalf. So then we're going to scratch that way of looking at it and just simply look at this other viewpoint of Jesus fulfills it on our behalf. And so if we read it that way, it makes a whole lot more sense in the context of the whole book. Now, because of Jesus, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. How is it fulfilled in us? Because of Jesus, because of my union with Christ, who walked not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I've got a long, long quote warning here today. I don't normally do this, but um, <laughs> I'm going to. Just three slides, I promise. It's not that bad. I just feel bad. A uh, lot, lot, lot of words are about to be on the screen. Now, this is Douglas Move from his commentary. And he's going to show, and he's going to explain very explicitly why this isn't me doing the good things. It is Christ who's already done it. He says this. If then... The inability of the law is to be overcome without an arbitrary cancellation of law. It can happen only through a perfect obedience of the law's demands. Okay? I've got to be perfect. This, of course, is exactly what Jesus Christ has done. As our substitute, he satisfied the righteous requirements of the law, living a life of perfect submission to God and laying upon him the condemnation due all of us, God also made it possible for the righteous obedience that Christ had earned to be transferred to us. Verses three through four, which we just walked through, then fit into a pattern of Paul's presentation of the work of Christ that has been called an interchange. Christ becomes what we are so that we might become what Christ is. In this sense, then, we may interpret the righteous requirement of the law to be the demand of the law for perfect obedience and for righteousness. And the law's just demand is fulfilled in Christians, not through their own acts of obedience, but through their incorporation into Christ. He fulfilled the law, and in him believers also fulfill the law perfectly so that they may may be pronounced righteous, free from condemnation in this way that Paul stresses on faith, establishes the law for in grasping Christ by faith, people are accounted as really having done the law. I want to read that again. In grasping Christ by faith, people are counted as really having done it. Indeed, As Paul makes clear in this letter, it is only through faith in Christ that the law can really be accomplished. In other words, we go back to that courtroom scene and it's not just a declaration of righteousness. It's not, hey, you are innocent. Jesus, his right way of living, his perfect submission to the law and obedience to law is then given to me as if I also did that, right? That I mean, it is a wild way to think about it, right? That's Emma coming back inside after playing and saying, dad, you cleaned the whole room. And then I say, no, I didn't, you did. That's, that's what's happening in this verse. So why? Why do we still feel that need to hold on to our sin, to be here to see those flashing sensors of this is who you are. And Jesus says, no, you're not that. And you're not just declared innocent. I'm telling you, you're you're me. I'm you, you're me. We're good. And yet we're so prone to go back and feel the weight of that sin. And Jesus is saying, here, let me make this abundantly clear the fulfillment of the law that I did. Let me just put it this way. You also did it because you're now with me. That's how we read this text. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let me say this. And I actually, this is free. This was not in my notes. This will happen sometimes. People like to quote this verse when sin is pointed out in their life. Hey, I've noticed you're, you're really struggling with this. You're doing this thing. You, 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 whatever, whatever, fill in the blank. And they would say, whoa, 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 pastor, you can't do that. There's no condemnation for me. I'm in Christ. It's like, yeah, you still need to repent of sin. There's no condemnation. You're not gonna be judged for this. But if I am truly in Christ, and I see him as good and beautiful. I want that. There is therefore now, now, today, the Spirit. That is good news. That's amazing news. I can't add anything to it. I mean, I don't know how many times I've said this, but Jesus says he's on the cross with his arms stretched out, nailed to the beam. He yells out and cries, it is finished. It's done. And then he looks at us and he says, my good works are now your good works. You're good. You're okay in me. So stop it. Stop feeling that weight, that crushing weight. You're freeing me. That's the gospel. So, in gospel application, there is no condemnation, there's no condemnation. We see the censors, we hear the lies of the devil. We, we, we hear even other people pointing out things, uh, who we are or, or past sins that we've committed or even past sins that have been committed uh, against us. And we go, this is who I am. This is what defines me. And Jesus is saying, there's no condemnation. But I think what I needed to hear this morning, simply one extra word is that word now. Now, no condemnation. Yes, I look forward to the day of being free from the flesh and its desires and and everything about it. Yes, I long for that. But I don't believe this all the time. And therefore, I don't believe the gospel. Because I am now free. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are in union with Christ. Every week at Hope Lower Town, we spend some time in communion the Lord's table, Eucharist, whatever you want to call it. And what we do is we go up and we take these elements and, and we take this wafer that represents Christ's body for us. He says, take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. You do this in remembrance of me. And so we get to take that little wafer and we get to remember that there is now no condemnation, not because of anything I've done or anything I could possibly do. I can't obey the law and plead with the creator. Um, I promise I'll be a good person now. He's like, no, you're not. But guess what? You are because you're in Christ. We get to remember that. We, we also get to take the juice and we get to drink that where Jesus says, this is my blood. This is my blood in the new covenant And it is my blood that's going to be a payment, a propitiation for the sin and wrath that you deserve. It's now paid for. It's done. There is now no condemnation for those who are in me. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church. This might be your first time in a church. But if you look and you hear that gospel and you go, now that I want to sign up for. Man, I would love for you to take these elements with us. I would love to take these elements and remember the finished work of Christ with this broken body and his blood that was shed in remembrance for us and our sins that were paid for completely. The worship team is gonna come back up. They're gonna play two songs. And so as you see fit, feel free to come up and, and grab these elements and go ahead and take a seat and and, and confess, repent and and, and and praise. This is just one of those passages that, that you read and you just wanna doxology, I just want to worship God for who he is because I do not deserve this. I am not a good person. What of it, Satan? Huh? And we get to remember that. So the worship teams are gonna play a couple songs. And so as we go back to our seats, feel free to take those elements as you see fit and then feel free to stand uh, as you would like and continue worshiping through song with the worship team. Let me pray and then we will uh, worship God together collectively and worship through the taking of these elements as we remember the finished work of Christ on the cross for our souls. Let's pray. Father, you are good. The only reason why I can pray to you, God, Creator God, as a sinful, wretched human being is because of the sacrifice that you and your son made on my behalf. That when you look at me, there are no faulty censors. There's nothing blinking in your face saying, Brian is not a good person because you know me, you see me, you know how wicked I am. And in spite of my wickedness, you see the righteousness of your son that I have been clothed in, that I am free to be free indeed. So God, will we just rejoice in that? I pray that as we take these elements, that we would just honor you, that we would love you, uh, that we would have a newfound freedom just simply in that word now. God, we love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.